Guest is Justin or Justin Claude Dumont, who is a registered psychologist at the Earth of Light Therapeutic Services. Monsieur Dumont, good morning and welcome to the program. Good morning. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's good to have you with us, Justin. Now, tell us, uh, uh, my understanding is that in your uh, work as a, as a psychologist, you have recently worked with people in quarantine at CFB Trenton. Is that the case? That's correct, yes. Now, um, your services at that time were retained by whom? The Government of Canada? That's right. Uh, I was I was part of the government of, uh, of Canada, and um, I was there to provide services for the federal employees who themselves supported the quarantine passengers. Ah, so you did not have direct contact necessarily with the passengers from abroad who had been compelled to be quarantined. Your job was to work with the people who were working with them, correct? That's correct. That's so correct. tell us a little bit about, first of all, the stresses, because we're seeing more and more of this all the time uh, as uh, this pandemic progresses, Justin. We're seeing more and more pressure and stress being brought to bear on frontline workers, the people that you were working with uh, at CFB Trenton. Talk to us a little bit before we talk about being in quarantine as a patient. Sure. Talk to us a little bit about those care providers. Um, you know, like um, it, it's uh, it's one of those things that we don't like realize happens all the time. Meaning that uh, the like frontline workers obviously like put themselves at risk for the well-being of all. And I think that it's in on, in these like, instances when the, there are these like special events that we sort of like become more aware of the risk that they took that, that they take like daily. It's part of their like daily life, and it's something that somehow like we take for granted, and mm-hmm. it takes. A larger event like this, like for us to like realize how much they are actually kind of like putting like on the line for us all. Exactly. Now, just to talk a little bit about it, because again, we understand and appreciate exactly what you said, but talk about how individuals, nurses, doctors, healthcare professionals of, of all descriptions, how they psych themselves up to go to work every day to assume this risk. Mm. Uh, I believe, uh, like you have, like two, you, you have like two, uh, two. Uh, two different kinds of workers. Like you have those who do that uh, as a job and you have those who do that as a profession or as a, uh, as a passion, if you will. So like, like you have like some of them were there because it's their calling and it's something that they were meant to do. Others are doing it more as a job and as, uh, as a career. So like it's a bit like different, if you will, um, with the approach, meaning that those who do it more as a job, but maybe like may have a bit more difficulty to uh, convince themselves to actually go to work, but sure. those who is their calling, uh, it's something that uh, is quite natural to them, and it's something that they would do uh, blindly, if you will. So, yeah, so the risk is, uh, even though it's obviously there, it's not as daunting or intimidating as it might be to others. Exactly, exactly, and, and you know, like we don't like realize again that uh, it's something that they deal with like every day. So, like for them, it's not much different. I think that what's different here is the fact that they deal with a fair bit of stigma coming sometimes from their own like family, like members or people of their like, community. So it's a bit more of a struggle for them right now because of that uh, added layer of stigma where if you work or if you are believed to be to, to, to have been in contact with people who may have had COVID-19, mm-hmm. therefore like will stay away from you. So I think that this 
social uh, factor is a bit different like under these circumstances. Jean-Claude, Justin Claude, while well, you were working with these healthcare professionals at CFB Trenton and also in Cornwall, were they required, You they were administering to Canadians who had returned home from overseas who were required to be quarantined. Were their caregivers also required to isolate themselves away from work were they or were they allowed to go home they were allowed to go home it's um, you know they, they were taking all of the all of the like, precautions you know like i think that uh, if you were to to have looked at a, a video of what the frontline workers wear it's, it's quite uh, complete uh, with a visor with a mask with a full gown with the gloves, and it's something that they change every single time that they are out of the zone. So right. They, they were taking um, uh, precautions like, to make sure that even if people had, had COVID-19 on the ground, that they, they, they themselves were not in danger. Let's talk a little bit, if we might, uh, Justin Claude, about uh, the individuals that your patients, your caregivers were attending to, those travelers who were somewhere far, far away from home and somehow or another word got to them that they needed to turn around and come back home right now. And in some cases, it wasn't possible, but they returned as quickly as they could only to, on touching down on Canadian soil, find themselves required to be locked up for two weeks in quarantine. Talk to us a little bit about those people, Justin Claude, and, and, and how they were and how they adapted to their quarantine. For the, for the first um, mission, if you will, or the first deployment in Trenton, they were, uh, for the most part, Chinese-Canadian living in China, and they were coming back home. And most of them were quite actually happy to, to be back like, on Canadian soil. For them, it was a bit of, like, uh, a, a, bit of a relief, if you will, to, to be back in Canada right. and, and, to, and to, uh, to receive like, the care that they got. Uh, for those in Cornwall, it was slightly different because they, they were on a cruise ship at the time. And uh, like some of them had been quarantined already for 14 to 28 days, right. depending on how long they had been on the cruise ship. So it, um, it was a bit more challenging for them at first. But I think that over time, like, people understood like, why they had to do it, and they, and they went along with, with the process. Now, let's just expand the conversation to include today, Justin Claude, because now we have millions of Canadians, uh, many of whom have not con- contracted this virus, uh, and yet we are compelled to the best of our ability to stay home, to not go to work. In many cases, our work has closed. Uh, and so this now has gone on for one Two, we're going into three, and we're told it's likely to take possibly until the end of this month at least. There we're looking at probably six weeks in many cases where people are being uh, asked nicely to stay home. So how about some tips for that long haul uh, in your own four walls? It's a good question, and I think that uh, first of all, like we have to look at what is causing our our like, restlessness. Because you know, like, like I think that we are used to be sometimes uh, distracting ourselves, like to be on the move, like to be physically active, mm-hmm. and and sometimes like all that movement is somewhat used as a form of escape or as a form of distraction from ourselves. So like when we're forced to be staying in our own in our own home and that we cannot go out i think that we're forced to coming in 
contact with ourselves. And mm-hmm. it's not necessarily the most pleasant experiences for most of us because we're usually our, our attention is is um, is flowing without is is flowing externally. So like to, to kind of like be cocooned like this, it forces us to come in contact with ourselves, and it's. In that way, is it the most pleasant experience for most of us? Mm-hmm. Especially if we are uh, uh, sharing our isolation space with uh, with other people uh, who also notice our flaws. Exactly, and you know, like it's a it's a time to really um, how can I say? Like it's a time to um, to like a turn within. It's a time to uh, to come to face or encounter what's inside of ourselves. Because like sometimes we we may be kind of busy in, in our day to day life, and we never really have the time to stop and to be in contact with ourselves. So, like, we can use this as an opportunity to just kind of, like, welcome whatever feeling may, may be present. Uh, it, like, it's not a matter of uh, judging, a matter of of, um, of, of, of of saying that this feeling is bad or this emotion is, is good. It's more, more a time to welcome whatever may, may come forward and whatever may come into the surface. Interesting stuff. Justin Claude, uh, thanks very much for, for getting up early and, and joining us today. You've had a very interesting uh, re- last couple of months, and uh, we'd like to be able to, to tap into your uh, expertise as this uh, pandemic goes forward. May we call you again? Definitely. I would, uh, I would be happy to be part of this show again in the future. A couple of days ago, I opened up The Sun online and uh, checked my one of my favorite columnists, Tony Gioventu, is the executive director of the Condominium Homeowners Association of British Columbia and also the author of the long-running Condo Smarts col- column in the newspapers. And uh, this, this week's column was entitled, If Possible... Try to maintain business as normal. Tony joins us this morning from his office in New Westminster to talk about how normal business is these first few days of April. Good morning, Tony. Good morning, Sterling. How are you this morning? I am well, thank you, sir. I did not like the snow on my windshield, but I'll get over it. Uh, how about you? <clears throat> very, very, very well, thanks. Good. Uh, yeah, you're, you're right. There are, um, you know, there's a lot of challenges for strata corporations across BC, and we're, you know, we're over thirty thousand corporations now, so it's a huge part of the population. This effect, Tony, just off the off the top of your head, and it's a ballpark number I'm after. Of the condominiums that are in British Columbia, what percentage of them are occupied by their owners versus occupied by tenants or some other non-owner? A uh, really difficult thing and number to assess because it really depends on the region. Uh, but, you know, you're probably um, looking at a, you know, an 80-20% ratio, okay. but it really depends by region. Uh, and, and, you know, surprisingly enough, some of our retirement communities on the island and in the Okanagan, um, they, um, you know, they have the appearance of having almost all owners in them. Uh, but oftentimes they may be things like family tenancies where you have the parents who live in the unit, but it's the next generation of the family that owns the unit. So, you know, it's, it, it, there are all kinds of numbers around this and it's, um, there are kinds of multiple variables it's hard to really put your finger on. One of the things that is being mentioned by numbers of, uh, many numbers of, of business observers is that this COVID-19 pandemic, Tony, could very well uh, underwrite the demise of Airbnb. And for a lot of condo owners and strata residents, that's not a bad thing, is it? 
Well, you know, it's a separate industry and um, Airbnb, of course, um, relies upon short term accommodations of transient individuals. Yeah. So, you know, so really at this point in history, they're they're simply not there. Um, There are a few vacation locations um, like Kelowna that still has some short term rentals that people are still using them. But they're they're local people. They're not international travelers. Um, But the the interesting thing is, is we've suddenly seen a significant number of units that were Airbnb. And we're seeing this in metropolitan cities across the country where suddenly a significant number of units have been released um, as rental units. Yes. um, Which is which is significantly going to ease our rental market, which is um, uh, definitely to a benefit um, of the public interest. And, you know, the other side of it is, is that some of the challenges that come with Airbnbs of of noise, of transiency, and some of the issues that arise from security issues, those are easing up for communities as well. I was just... So I was, was going to say that that's yeah. that's what I was going to say in terms of those strata owners who may be OK with this uh, Airbnb thing going away only because, as you just mentioned, of the irritation factor that an Airbnb in a strata environment does pose to a lot of residents. Definitely. And it, and it certainly put a lot of pressure on the inventories available for rent, rental units. So this may help ease up the rental market substantially. Yeah, I saw something in the paper just yesterday, in fact, that they're looking at a kind of a twofold benefit, Tony, with A, more stock available to be rented, and B, with that infusion of new possibilities, maybe some downward pressure on rental prices as well. Yeah, yeah, yes, we're going to see that as well. You know, the the, the, the difficult side of that, though, of course, is um, we still have a number of, of owners and investors and individuals, whether they have rentals or Airbnb, who have investments. You know, in the next month or two, people are really going to start feeling the crunch. And so they're asking questions like, you know, can my strata relieve me of my strata fees? Can they, can they defer my strata fees like my taxes? Right. Um, how I can get my property taxes deferred? And, you know, and that's a real challenge, especially especially if you're suddenly out of work, um, you know, you, you get some relief um, with, um, uh, co- you know, compensation from the government to fill in your, your salary. Right. You have the ability for deferment of your mortgage of up to six months. Things like car loans, you can negotiate with your financial institution to defer those as well. So, you know, so there are some relaxations. The difficulty with strata fees is that the strata corporation still has to pay for things like its insurance Mm -hmm. and its waste removal and its utilities and its emergency response services and and its general management services. Um, Those things don't go away. And, And there really isn't uh, any any relief on the other side of that to say, um, you know, we, we're going to just defer your fees for two months and we're okay. Uh, you know, the other challenge we have is that we have a lot of strata corporations in BC who historically have had low strata fees. And the problem with that is that they don't have a lot of um, cushion and sure. a lot of reserves to weather out the storm. So it, it's going to be some tight times for a number of these communities. And I'm quoting from your latest column in the paper, Tony, for, uh, very briefly, the insurance market is still in the midst of very difficult times, and with worldwide markets falling, this has also affected revenues for the insurance industry. So, if your strata insurance is renewing in the next six months, this is a good time to start a direct discussion with your insurance broker. Six months out from renewal uh, is a good time to get at it. Why, Tony? Because insurance is getting more and more difficult to obtain. 
Well, we do have um, a smaller insurance market, and the insurance market has what we call a smaller capacity. They can't take as much uh, liability and risk, or they're not prepared to take as much. And I think that with the COVID-19 risk, um, as it spreads around the world and as our economy slow, um, as claims increase, um, you know, uh, we're going to see a lot more claims on personal life insurance and those types of issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to have a lot more pressure on the insurance market. And and your insurance company won't be able to give you a quote six months in advance. Um, but you need to start thinking of some things like what's the potential increase so that when we have our annual general meeting in a month, how much money do we have to plan for? Exactly. Um, I, know, su- I suppose you know. the other thing, Tony, would also be, do we even qualify to be reinsured or to have our insurance renewed with our current provider? And if, if we don't, gosh, where can we go? Well, that, that is one of the challenges. And we certainly have um, a very small number of buildings, but we have a few buildings um, who at this point have no insurance. And so the difficulty we're having is, uh, or the difficulty they're having is, how do they manage that risk versus cost? And, you know, and even for buildings that have recently decent claims histories and may have only had one small claim in the last five years, mm-hmm. they're still seeing their policies as they're renewing this year. They're seeing their policies increase anywhere from two to 400 percent uh and then the other side of it is is that deductibles basic deductibles for everything from water claims and fire to flood um all of those things have increased even if you don't have any claims pretty much across the board for most properties they've increased to a hundred thousand dollars per claim so for the individual owner if i cause a flood in my building and the claim is over a hundred thousand dollars and the damages um, the Strata Corporation has the legal right and they have the ability to come after me to, to claim that $100,000 deductible. So homeowners, if you own a condo, you have to buy insurance to protect yourself. Um, just because you don't have insurance doesn't mean you don't owe the amount for the deductible if you cause a claim or are responsible for it. No question, Tony, of course. And the other the other reality is for most homeowners of, uh, of, of all descriptions, you didn't get your mortgage from your lender uh, without insurance. You had to have that coverage in place before they would sign mm-hmm. off on the funds to go to you to pay for your place in the beginning. Well, that's true. And, and, you know, another side of that, it is a condition of your mortgage contract um, that you have to maintain insurance on your property. Yes. The financial institutions have become very relaxed about this now because so many of the mortgages are secured through CMH3, CMHC through mortgage insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, so there isn't as much risk for the financial institutions. But the, the, the impact of that is um, we've seen a significant drop in the number of homeowners, even with mortgages, who buy homeowner insurance. You know, it's a, it's an affordability issue. I understand it. People are, you know, cutting, uh, you know, pinching pennies sure. to try and um, uh, to make ends meet and to pay their mortgage. Uh, but cutting back on your insurance, especially at this time in history as a homeowner, is just simply a bad idea. Uh, and there are there are a significant number um, of homeowner insurance providers across the province that can help you. Everything from BCAA to the services through uh, London Drugs, through your local banks, through your local insurance brokers. Call your local insurance brokers and sort out your insurance for your condo unit for your strata. But it is also possible, based on what I'm hearing from you this morning, my friend, that you as a homeowner in a condo environment, you have tenants or homeowners insurance on your unit. Uh, Fine, secured, all done. But it's also possible that that building in which you have your insured unit may not have insurance on itself, right? 
Yeah, we have a few of those at the moment. The insurance brokers and the Insurance Bureau Bureau, um, of Canada um, have been really helpful in working really hard to secure insurance. Um, And what we're starting to see now is insurance um, at a different level. You know, the Strata Property Act, our legislation... um, And again, for the protection of mortgages and for the protection of assets requires that people have to get insurance for the full replacement value of that building. Right. Um, And so a few things have happened in the market. Um, The first is it's not always possible now for your insurance broker to obtain full replacement value for your building. It just might not be available. So you might have something called a loss limit. So a building with a $60 million value as a, you know, as a high rise building um, for replacement may only be getting a $30 million loss limit coverage. And what that means is in the event of a total loss of the building, which, by the way, in BC is an extraordinary um, circumstance, but in the event of a total loss, um, the damages or the loss of the claim would max out at $30 million. Um, but, you know, 99.99999% of all of the claims relate basically to things like water and fire. You bet. Um, and flooding within the units. And, you know, that's one of the difficulties with high-rise buildings or large-scale apartment buildings. When one unit has a flood, it's never isolated to one unit. It can easily affect five 15 or 50 units and the cost of these claims can exceed a million dollars. So it's, you know, it's critical that your strategy secures some kind of insurance. Um, so, you know, and again, if, or if a listener is having problems with their insurance, um, we're working with all of the brokers. We'd gladly put you in touch with anybody who needs assistance uh, to try and help you through this. Well, that's interesting. Is it against the law, Tony, as we understand it, for a strata environment to be uninsured? Technically, yes, but the Act really doesn't talk about what the remedies are. I think that the issue is if the strata makes every reasonable attempt to to obtain insurance, um, that they will have probably discharged their obligations. And if you can't get insurance, uh, you need to be talking with your lawyer as well to make sure that you're trying to cover those liabilities to show that you have done everything sure. reasonable. But if, you, but if you're in a building, and, and here's, here's the, state, the status, there are buildings out there with, who really are at the point of no insurance, but they may have had five claims in the last year. And they may be in, they may be an older or a mid-aged building where their plumbing system has failed and they've refused to upgrade the plumbing in their building. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, and an insurer is going to look at that and say, we're not insuring this property till this plumbing is replaced. Interesting um, stuff. Or, or if we do insure you, we will, we will provide you general liability insurance, but we are going to exclude any damages caused by floods or water escape or sewer backup in your building. Uh, so your insurance that you're purchasing may not really have much value to it anyhow. Tony, uh, what? So he, yeah. Sorry, I've only got a minute left, and I just wanted to yeah. ask you, uh, you and your team at CHOA, busy, busy people always, you're getting millions of calls this week. Okay, lots of calls this week. What's the number one issue of concern as we pass the end of March into the new month? I was going to say, it feels like millions of calls. I'll um, bet. The, biggest, the biggest issue that we're dealing with is strategists that are having to manage their general meetings because we can't have assembly for meetings. Of now. course. Um, 
We've put um, a YouTube video, instruction guides, sample documents all on the website, uh, open to the public to use, um, uh, instructing you how to do a restricted proxy um, meeting. And essentially what that means is one of your owners or council members will physically convene the meeting, but everybody will send in a proxy with restrictions on it that require that person to vote the way they were instructed. They can't change the votes. Gotcha. Um, and, and so that way there, every, it's, so in a way, it's kind of like an absentee ballot for a meeting. Some buildings have bylaws that permit electronic meetings. Um, if you do those, check your bylaws to see if they actually deal with all of the procedures of how votes are conducted and registration. A lot of them are not. And we're seeing build, uh, meetings for um, uh, electronic meetings. They're getting hijacked by people. But we also know this crisis is taking an enormous financial toll, leaving many households financially vulnerable. And as polls and surveys are showing us, this is resulting in higher levels of anxiety and certainly financial stress. Here to talk about it this morning is Jennifer McCracken, back with us from BDO First Call Debt Solutions, where Jennifer is a senior manager and licensed insolvency trustee. Good morning. Nice to have you back, Jennifer. Hi, good morning. So let's talk a little bit about some of those surveys and polling that you and your colleagues at BDO have been doing. And also, also Jennifer, if you could talk to us a little bit about what people are calling you just out of the blue and are most concerned about. Uh, certainly. Uh, so we are definitely seeing that polls are showing Canadians are feeling stress. So there was a recent poll done by Borowell, which showed up to 75% of Canadians uh, were feeling stressed about finances and some are losing sleep. Um, I don't think that that probably comes as a surprise to the listeners. Sure. I, I know that this is, this is definitely an unprecedented time. I think for uh, a lot of Canadians, they've really never seen anything like this in their lifetime. And uh, the ripple effect of this pandemic is it's it has such a significant impact on uh, the financial well-being of Canadians and I know folks are calling me it's the, the fear and the uncertainty because they just don't know how long they're going to be laid off they don't know you know the long-term impact of losing income during this period and uh, you know your ability to reduce your expenses is is somewhat limited you can do it with your variable expenses but we all you know here have pretty high fixed costs and you've referenced surveys i know we did a survey last year that found uh bc reported some of the highest uh levels of stress around meeting their basic needs so this is covering rent and utilities sure. so um, yeah, this this is a, a really a really tough time for for a lot of folks, and particularly for the folks in BC, which already were struggling. Yeah, Michael Campbell is listening to our conversation right now, and he's been on and on about debt since last September, Jennifer, and that's a government debt in addition to personal levels of debt. But you and I have talked together in the past on Vancouver Consumer about personal debt levels, which regrettably in Canada here are incredibly high. We owe what is it now a dollar seventy six for every mm-hmm. dollar we make, and now if we're not making that dollar, the dollar seventy six doesn't go away, does it? No, it doesn't. And in addition to the fact that Canadians have record levels of debt, uh, we also know that delinquencies are on the rise. So BC actually had the highest level of delinquencies just on a poll at late last year, again, before the pandemic uh, was even in place here. Mm-hmm. And also um, that we we are know that record um, consumer insolvency filings are, are on the rise. And we know BC, again, had some of the highest numbers. So those are all indicators. So the debt levels are high, but we look at delinquencies and we look at insolvency filings and we can see those numbers 
numbers are, were prior to this were also on the rise. Yeah, well, let's take a look now at some of the remedies that have been offered up by governments federally primarily, mm-hmm. but the province is kicking in some here and there as well. Let's talk about those financial aid packages, Jennifer, mm-hmm. and, and how it might shake down to the individual Canadian. Absolutely. So we know that the CERB um, was announced, um, I guess it was late uh, last week, and it's, it's going live on April 6th. So there's a tele, telemated, um, automated system that you can phone in to uh, apply, or you can do it online. Uh, so we're estimating that there's going to be um, a lot of applications um, that are put forward for that. So that's set to go live next week, and then the estimation is that the payout for it will be sometime in mid-April. So the the, the government, as part of this 107 billion dollar package um, is a two thousand dollar a month payment um, so it's going to be 500 weekly right that is a taxable uh, source of income and so individuals should educate themselves on whether or not they're eligible so there's a lot of resources on the government websites about how to apply and whether you qualify we're also advising individuals to assess whether it would be more beneficial to apply for EI so EI max is out at 573 per week it is a little bit stricter but I'm definitely encouraging folks to assess between the CERB benefits and the EI. You want to assess which one uh, would pay you a higher amount because for some EI would be a more beneficial application. Uh, For those that have the baby bonus, there's going to be a a payment, an additional $300 coming out in May. And there's a one-time GST bump of $400 for the folks that are qualifying. That's going to be paid out in April. Yeah, that's double the normal amount, Mm -hmm. too, on that GST rebate, isn't it? It is, yep. And um, we also know that BC, so the, the BC uh, benefits are a little bit less clear in terms of the details, although we do know that there's a $1,000 payment um, that will be um, available for individuals that qualify. And then we also know for folks on disability that for a period of three months, there's going to be an additional $300 uh, added. And there's actually no application process for that. So it's just going to be automatically paid out to individuals that are on the social assistance or the disability programs. So, so those are some of the, we, I definitely encourage folks to, when they're building out their budget now, you, you want to plan for what, are my, what is my income, and you want to assess what benefits you would be, you qualify for, because that's part of you bridging the gap right now. I'm encouraging my clients to build out a three-month plan. So it's assessing what income is going to come in in the next three months, and um, also assessing what expenses they have and there may be benef- there may be uh, areas within their expenses that they can reduce expenses or qualify for some of the deferments yeah. which of course we can talk a bit more about. Uh, Jennifer you also mentioned the Canada Emergency Response Benefit or CERB mm-hmm. is taxable. So it, yeah. does this this mean that if you're supposed to get $2000 a month from the feds in fact you're going to get 1750 or whatever because they're going to be withholding tax? Yes, the the articles I read indicated that there would be a two hundred dollar income tax deduction for a monthly total of eighteen hundred dollars. Okay, so that's also something to factor into your budgeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, absolutely, yeah. So it's it's really building out what income do I have in the next three-month period, what are some of the benefits, the federal and the provincial that I qualify for, where can I also qualify for some of the deferments, and um, we know, for instance, ICBC has a one-month deferral that you can go on online and request a change to the automatic withdrawal to a different amount. Uh, We also know that BC Hydro, in addition to having a credit available, there's also a deferment process that's effective in June, and we know that some of the big banks have already 
kind of signed on to the, the government's plea that they are going to be open to mortgage deferrals, um, some of the, the, the period being interest-free, uh, six-month periods for interest-free, for instance, for student loans. And we also know that um, they're encouraging banks, to, credit card companies, to reduce interest or just allow for interest-only payments if they're not going to reduce it. So we certainly know that communication with your lenders is key. Um, some of the stats show that the big banks have already received over 200,000 requests for mortgage deferrals. And I expect that that's going to go. That was like a week old. Yeah. So I expect that that's higher now, even as we're talking. Oh, probably going right through the roof too. Yeah. And and, and our, is it an automatic? If you apply to your bank for it, and of course you're going to continue paying interest uh, throughout that. It'll be just tacked onto the end of the term. And of course, uh, yeah, but it's a deferment. <laughs> is it an automatic? If you're a homeowner and you're in reasonably good standing, is it pretty much automatic? Your bank will go, yeah, sure, we'll give you a break here. Well, it, it's it's I don't we don't really have clarity on that. So I I, I don't believe that it's automatic. We know that some of the banks have said that they're willing to um, to allow for um, deferrals, but they're good. I think they do have to assess it on a case by case basis. So I think if if you if as a lender, if you have a, a client that's uh, a customer that's calling you that the mortgage was already in arrears and there was already um, and the credit score is low and there was already sort of a negative history on the account, yeah. it it you you know it, it, I think it's more difficult for the banks to allow for that. So um, I folks that are currently in good standing, whether it be on lines of credit, credit cards, mortgages, obviously get that communication out to your bank now because that positive history is going to benefit you when you have those discussions. And for any folks that are going into debt, because I think, Sterling, you and I probably both realize that a lot of folks right now are probably incurring additional debt while they're waiting for these benefits to kick in or maybe they don't qualify. So we're certainly encouraging folks um, to, if you are going to be going into debt, assess how much you're going into debt. Again, make a plan for it. Access lower interest rate debt, things like lines of credit. We know the Bank of Canada has reduced um, the lending rates. We know that we're at historic lows going back to 2008. Access the ones that are going to have the least financial impact for you down the road. So don't do the cash advance or use credit cards that have a way higher interest rate at this time. Interesting stuff. Jennifer, I have to leave it there. Okay. Always, always a pleasure to talk to you. Yes, you, you too. You're a voice of calm in a pretty crazy storm going on around us. The, the bottom line being sit down, make a plan, and try hard to stick to it. Yes, and communication is key. So communication within your family on the budget with your kids and communication with the lenders that you have these financial relationships with because you need to maximize and get all the benefits you can at this time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.